Hello? Alexandra? Hey! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Hi there! Welcome back to another episode of Life Against the Current, a show designed by people's stories and truths that go against traditions, societal norms, opinions of family and friends, or even a boss's suggestion. Basically, anything against the grain. I'm Alexandra Stepanov, co-founder and editor-in-chief of Life Against the Current. Joining me today is Hannah Combi. What is your life against the current story? Okay. Um, so I think the best starting point for my life against the current story is like maybe in the fall of my senior year of college, and that was in 2012. So in college, I was an English major, and that was always something I was interested in growing up, and I played soccer um, as well. And so it came to the fall of my senior year, my soccer season ended, and I really didn't know what I was going to do next, which a lot of people have that experience, obviously. Um, so I started thinking about um, things that I wanted to pursue, uh, adventures that I wanted to have, and I thought back to actually one of the two people who taught me how to have a life against the current, which is my dad. Um, and after his uh, senior year of college, he joined a professional basketball team in Switzerland and he sold all of his things and he moved to Switzerland and he played basketball there. And so I thought, okay, um, I don't really know what to do, so I'm going to follow this template for now. So I and decided... And join a professional basketball team in Switzerland. <laughs> I didn't join a professional basketball team in Switzerland. I did my own iteration, uh, or I started the process of my own iteration. So I decided I was going to try out for um, some professional, like, not first tier, but like second and third tier professional soccer teams in England. So what I did, uh, I got in touch with another, yeah, I got in touch with another uh, student at my school who I knew was like a videographer. I made a highlight video. Um, I spent my winter term doing research on different teams in England and uh, finding contact information. So I just sent this video that I had had made, um, along with some footage from my, um, my college uh, soccer career, and I sent it to four different teams um, in England. And three of them responded, uh, sorry, four of them responded, and we set up a time for me to come and do like preliminary tryouts uh, the spring break of my senior year. So that was 2013. So this was my first time uh, really venturing out on my own and really like setting up my own structure of something I wanted to do rather than following like the structure of going to college or going on a study abroad program, which I which I did uh, the year before. Which uh, to where? It was through my school, and it was in London. Okay. Um, so I was I was kind of familiar um, with England a little bit. So I, I was not branching out a huge amount there, I guess. Um, so I set up uh, train travel within the country, um, going to different cities, uh, th four different cities, um, to try out uh, for these teams. Um, and I, I flew, I went by myself, I had like my roller bag with me, and um, I went and I tried out for, it ended up being only three teams because they had uh, heavy snowfall that March. Oh. So one of the teams was like, our field is covered in snow, like we can't, we can't have you. And I yeah. had a really tight schedule. And it wasn't like typical tryout season. 
Um, so I just went for one practice with each team, which really meant I had to be like performing at my best immediately. Soccer is very communication heavy, so you have to know people's names. That's like very helpful. So yeah. it was, um, it was very challenging and it was very fun and exciting. And that was in the span of how long? A week. Okay. A week. So I, I took a train, I went to Watford, I went to um, Albion, and I went to Portsmouth. And two of the teams expressed, expressed interest in having me back, and I remember so distinctly the moment. Um, and I think this is where my life against the current maybe really, really started. I was on the train from my last tryout back to London to fly back um, to Ohio, which is where I'm from. And I was thinking, this was so great. I love soccer. Like, this could be so interesting. And then I was a little more realistic with myself. Uh, women's soccer is not paid or highly paid there. Um, I wouldn't be able to get a visa. And I just ultimately decided, like, this is not challenging enough. This is not challenging in the sense that this is not going to push me to move forward in my life or to figure out longer-term goals um, sort of thing. So I, I set about thinking about what would actually do that for me. Um, and it was a couple weeks later when I decided that instead um, I would uh, apply to become a Peace Corps volunteer. Um, I'd always been interested in teaching. I'd always been interested in language. I wanted to see other places in the world. I wanted to do some kind of positive um, work, I guess, and form relationships with other people. So. I, I applied to Peace Corps the day before I graduated from college. Oh, my goodness. And at that time, it was a, like a longer process, a longer acceptance process. So I went home. I lived with my parents. I worked part-time as a public librarian, which, oh, I, also, which I also loved, which I also loved, and everyone should support their public libraries. Um, and, and then I received an invitation um, after my, my interview process um, in the late summer. I received an invitation to go to Georgia which was a country I knew almost um, nothing about. So a year later? It was uh, It was less than a year. So it was like I graduated in May, and then I got the invitation in November. Oh, so, oh, yeah. oh okay, okay. So not a year. But I ended up leaving for Georgia, and it was about a year after I graduated. Okay. Like it was the next April. Um, so before I knew it, um, let's see, it's April now. So it was April 2014, so five years ago. I found myself in the countryside of Georgia with like 50 other Americans um, about to embark on learning a language that is completely unique and very intimidating and to live in a small village and to teach in a, in a village school. Um, had you had much um, experience in like a kind of rural setting? Um, Cause I'm I from... I'm from a small town, okay. like a relative, like, you know, for, like American standards, like 10,000 people. Yeah, um, not really that small. So not really that small, so not really rural. Okay. And at least from what I've seen, like, villages in the sense of how they exist in Georgia or in other parts of, like, Eurasia or the Caucasus or, like, Eastern Europe don't really exist in the U.S. I don't know if that's actually true. Maybe I need to explore the U.S. <laughs> a little more. Um, it's very possible. Um... Yeah, so I, I served, uh, I was an English education volunteer in Georgia uh, for 24 months, um, so yeah, two years. Um, I lived with a host family for the whole time. I 
became very enthusiastic about studying Georgian, and I and I met with a tutor who became a very close friend uh, twice a week for the two years, um, and I really I really loved it. I really thrived. I made a lot of great relationships with my host family, in particular my host mother and sister, and with students at school and my counterpart teachers. Um, there were like an incredible number of challenges, like so many like homesickness and culture shock and just all the adjustments of living in, in, in a place that's so far away from home. Um, but I also really loved it. And so from there, I was thinking, okay, as we all do, what is the next step? Uh, what makes sense? And I kind of thought all of the good things I was feeling was connected to teaching English. And I thought, okay, like, let's see, let's pursue that a little further and see um, if that's what I want to commit to. Um, so I started looking at a few different possibilities. Um, I wasn't ready to come back to the U.S. Um, and so I stumbled upon the Fulbright English Teaching Assistantship Program and I decided to apply um, to teach English in Bulgaria. Um, it seemed like a great opportunity to like hop over the Black Sea and <laughs> learn a little bit more about the Balkan region. I had known nothing about Georgia or the Caucasus before I went and I felt so um, grateful to learn about a place that I had known nothing about. Um, and I wanted to do the same thing, unfortunately, like, I don't know about like your high school <laughs> history education, but mine was mostly like American history. So our Western European oh, I history, see. I didn't, I didn't really know much about the Balkans, uh, just for example. And so I applied to do a Fulbright there. And because I was still thinking like, oh, like English, teaching English could be the thing. I applied for a master's program uh, in TESOL and I was accepted, uh, but I deferred um, to do Fulbright. Uh, and so I was in a town in Bulgaria that was about the same population as the vill village where I lived in Georgia, but I was living alone, uh, which was very different from living with the host family. And uh, the teaching was very challenging, extremely challenging. The, the system was very similar to the one in Georgia, sort of a post-Soviet structure. But um, uh, the kids there are like, just like incredibly smart and sometimes just very rambunctious. <laughs> so, yeah. So like with like having that Peace Corps background mm -hmm. and having lived with the host family, because you mentioned like mm -hmm. it was a lot different living on your own in this yeah. country and then yeah. like working with a class that's a little bit more difficult to handle. Yeah. Um, would you say like it was a little bit like that time was a little bit more challenging? Like what kinds of, you know, maybe like what kinds of challenges did you encounter living on your own as mm -hmm. opposed to like when you were with a host family and all that? Yeah. I, I would say that it was more challenging for me. And I think it's because um, in Peace Corps with a host family and with just kind of the setting that I was in, um, there was a lot of community immediately. Um, and sort of everything that I was doing built a community more and more around me and like a family, like with my host family. And this, that's not to say that um, Fulbright didn't provide me that opportunity. Of course. But I think to an extent I was kind of emotionally reeling after leaving Georgia. I think I was ready to go, but I think I also missed it and was very sad to go more than I realized. Okay. And in a way it was hard for me to then 
be like, okay, I'm in this new place. I'm going to love it as much as the other new place I went to. And it didn't feel right. And, and this definitely impacted my dedication to learning Bulgarian. Um, I was not as diligent as I should have been. Um, well, I mean, you said two years prior to that in Georgia. So that, just like I mean, that obviously steeped, affects, yeah. yeah, that mm-hmm. affects a lot of things. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And especially like around um, such an, such a like, big community mm-hmm. of people. So it was a difficult transition, yeah. <laughs> yeah, suffice to say. And I mean, I I was teaching on my own in Bulgaria, whereas in Georgia I was team teaching. So it was just a more, it was a more um, challenging, and I, I would say I felt quite isolated. And I think some of it was coming from within me, um, and some of it was maybe just the circumstances of the program. Mm-hmm. But even <laughs> despite that, I did I did love it. I made I made some really great um, connections with other Fulbright teachers, with my mentor teacher in the town where I was living, and with students, with some like incredible students. And one of the things that I was doing there um, was coaching students in English, an English speech and debate competition, uh, which is very popular uh, in Bulgaria. It was started by some Fulbright ETAs. Um, I'm wearing the t-shirt right now, actually. I'm sorry that everyone can't see it. Um, But uh, there was an opportunity to extend my grant for a second year. And a part of that opportunity was to apply to be the assistant director of the speech and debate, uh, very small um, NGO that ran the the regional tournaments, and there was a national tournament, and then there was usually an international component as well. So, and and that position also entailed um, living in Sofia, living in the capital, And at that point, I was just feeling quite isolated. I thought I could attribute it to where I was in the country, just a very small community. And I thought, you know, I want to grow my skills. At that point, I had decided teaching English is not the thing. (laughs) So I I, uh, declined uh, the master's position that I had deferred, um, which I'm, like, infinitely thankful that I did. Um, I think, like, realizing what you don't want to do is as important as figuring out what you do want to do. Of course. so I applied uh, for the assistant director position, and I got it. Um, and so the next year, um, I was in Sofia, and I was teaching at a public school there, reduced hours, and I was working with the executive director of the organization to organize and put together. Um, it was incredibly fun. It yeah. was also incredibly stressful. <laughs> well, it sounds like a lot of yeah. fun, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's so popular um, I can't like emphasize how amazing the students are, the participants are. They put so much into writing original oratories about something they're passionate about, performing poetry that they love, um, doing like very theatrical duos. Uh, it's really, it, it was a privilege to be a part of it. It really felt like a privilege and to, uh, to contribute to it. Uh, there was, um, uh, in past years, there was an opportunity um, for a few students to go to um, the national debate um, tournament here in the U.S. Um, and they would be selected um, and then they would go. And we were thinking, like the board of directors and like the upper um, management, I suppose, we're thinking about like funding, we're thinking about all these different things, like is this does this align with the mission of the organization? And we ended up instead um, starting a tournament called Balkan Voices, which brought um, participants from other Balkan countries to come to Bulgaria mm. and take part in like a speech competition there, um, and that was really cool. That was great. 
Those are all within the year? That was within the year. It was quite a busy year. There were four regional tournaments and one national tournament and and then the international event. Um, So it was quite a lot. It it taught me a lot, um, and it it definitely helped me realize how interested I am in working, uh, like, hands-on with participants of of any kind of programming, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was also in that time when I started... um, uh, teaching some like pre-departure orientations for students who are going from southeastern Europe to go on cultural exchanges uh, to the U.S. And I think I think it was like that that year with those orientations as well that I just realized uh, I want to be involved with education and I want to be involved with international and cultural exchange. And so, <laughs> which I know that you, yeah, which I know that you feel, which I know you totally uh, feel the same thing. Um, and so after that, I applied for another position with that same organization who I had been working for um, to do those orientations for high school students. And I ended up uh, recruiting in um, Southeast Europe and in Ukraine for four months this past fall, um, like doing different rounds of English testing, um, and then interviewing. Um, I interviewed about 300 students um, this past fall uh, wow. who were interested in going to the U.S. And it was, it was, it was just the most like exciting, like rewarding, uh, fun like work that I've ever done. And I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So okay. Oh, it feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. <laughs> You've done a lot. It feels like a lot. Yeah, I hadn't. I hadn't really realized. <laughs> so, if you had to like narrow that down to like three key parts of that journey, mm. what would you say those three are? I think, like stages of it, or or yeah, moments. Like, kind yeah, like yeah. Um, I think the first moment was that moment on the train when I was in England, when I decided, um, this isn't. This isn't exactly the right next step. This is not the right challenge, adventure, like way towards reaching future goals or even figuring out how to set future goals. Um, That was a really big moment because I departed from... I departed from something that had been such a fundamental part of how I identified as a person. And it was really hard to let go of, like, soccer. I really identified myself as a soccer player, as a competitive athlete. But I think that was the moment when I decided I cannot just follow my seven-year-old idea of who I am. It's time to, like, create something new and step out of that. That was, that was like, a really big moment, I think, in hindsight. The second moment was probably... Um, it was probably deciding not to go to that graduate program to teach English. I think it would have been easy to sort of preemptively buy into the narrative of my own life, of what I had done, and say, oh, this makes so much sense <laughs> to go do this. You've, you've, done, you've taught English, you've done these things, it makes so much sense to go do this. But I'm really glad that I realized um, that that wasn't the right next step. It also would have been a very expensive next step step that I, you know, then would have um, probably regretted. Um, I think the only saving grace of that program would have been living so close to my sister who lives in California. Mm, Okay. Um, But I'm sure that will happen at some point anyway. (laughs) Um, And then the third thing, um, the third moment, I'm wondering... 
what that might be. I think the third moment has probably been realizing that it was time to come back to the U.S. to take a step in my career and in my like sort of exploration of what my career can be um, rather than trying to force or like manufacture a way to stay in the Balkans, for example, or to stay in Eastern Europe um, somewhere. Again, sort of just acknowledging that it was time to at least come back here for some time and to come to D.C., which I think was, which I really feel like was the right choice for me. Um, I think that has been a, a big, a big point in my kind of venture of restructuring my view of how I'll build my life and also like of myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why of yourself? Um, like what I was saying about how I define myself for like all of my childhood and into my into college, just define myself as like a competitive athlete, um, amongst other things. Um, I think also having like doing Peace Corps, doing Fulbright, being abroad. It's it's such a not just like abroad, but um, like having the opportunity to to be involved with people who are doing great work and to like learn how to do work well. Um, it, it becomes like a part of how I identified myself. Like, oh, I am a person, I am an American who does not live in America. I see. I am an American who is living in a place that is quite different. You know, I, th I think I started to hang my hat on that as being a part of my identity. Maybe in the same way where I was like, if I don't, if I'm not doing this, who am I? Mm -hmm. And I felt that same way with soccer. Like, if I'm not doing this, am I myself? Okay. So it's, it's sort of a similar, I think it's like a similar trend for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have kind of like a bigger overarching kind of question. Yeah. So a lot of people do play into this idea of like, okay, well, you got to, you know, do these particular things and mm -hmm. like, these are the kinds of like, like things that I should be doing and mm -hmm. like things that I should be studying and then I can mm. get a career in this thing just so that, mm. you know, I can do whatever. Yeah. So how did you kind of like, like, I don't know if there were people that influenced you and that kind of thing. You mentioned your dad, but mm -hmm. I don't know if that was like, you also mentioned that he was one of two. Yes. Um, <laughs> if, but, yeah. but like, how did, what helped you kind of break that and decide, okay, well, I'm going to try to find something that I actually enjoy mm -hmm. and pursue that and yeah. decide that, that, you know, I'm going to leave that kind of thing behind and put myself on a path that is going to make me happy. Yeah. Well, you were very perceptive. <laughs> yeah. What my, my parents, both of them, and, and then also as individuals, because obviously they're individual people, um, their support and their guidance and like, also, the way that their lives have, have gone, they have always really supported um, my curiosity in doing different kinds of things, and for my siblings as well. And my siblings have also done like, like really, they've done really cool, impressive, like challenging things. Um, I mean, my it was my mom at a couple of points. My mom has been like, "Oh, like, you you used to talk about Peace Corps. Like, are, have you thought about that?" And then I realized Peace Corps was the exact right thing to do. Um, I'm pretty sure she did the same thing with Fulbright. Um, I'm pretty sure <laughs> she's, she's done it a couple of times. And she had a really, has had a really um, 
like life against the current kind of career path. She was from a very large family. She um, got funded uh, to go to college through the military. So then she had to do military service for four years. My parents were in Germany. You know, she ended up getting her PhD when I was from like when I was in second grade to like seventh grade or something. So she has really always talked through these things with me and, and definitely been very supportive. So I think a huge part of it, a huge part of why I have felt like I can take risks or sort of follow curiosity or follow like what I'm interested in is because I have like a support network, not just of my parents, but of like my siblings and my in-laws, for example. Okay. Um, and everyone has that to like varying degrees and I feel extremely lucky. Um, but I would attribute a lot of it to like those talks with my parents. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> All right. So now that we know your story, uh-huh. um, what is a road sign or a tool that you feel would have better paved your path? I think, I think that a road sign, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would define it as a tool, but I think like one of the dominating things that I felt like I learned late, or I think I'm still learning it, I think I'm like cyclically learning it over and over again, is to not to limit my conception of myself to like what I'm doing, whether I've always done it, for example, soccer, or like living outside of the US, not to limit um, my, my growth by thinking that I, I'm only what I'm doing in that moment or like only what I've done before. Um, I think being a little bit braver to step out of my comfort zone of like my own self-identification. Mm. And I don't know <laughs> if that's the clearest way that I can put it, but I think it's one of the biggest things I wish I had realized earlier. Like that you, you don't know. have to box yourself into a particular category or exactly. like it doesn't have to define the next step. Exactly. Or if, or if I'm not able to do something that I love anymore, which everyone faces at some point and all of us will face as we get older. Um, it's really like, yeah, like dear, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be really difficult to feel successful or to like set and pursue goals if you're only defining success in this one particular kind of way or only setting goals in this like one category. So that's what I realized for myself, like need to not limit myself to my idea of who I am. Okay. Yeah. So then what is a directional sign that you would give to others who are, you know, kind of pursuing a very similar sort of unconventional path? Very relevant to my life. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Um, I think sort of going off of what I just said for myself, I think I would say um, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone and like whatever sort of comfort zone that is because it can, it can even just be like the way you think about yourself um, is really like one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Like thinking, thinking back or like thinking back on what I just talked about in terms of like the things I've done in the past five years. Um, the things that I definitely remember the most are the times when I was the most uncomfortable. Um, and often it was when 
things were maybe a little bit out of my control, but I, like, problem solved. I figured things out. Um, I was once caught on a train with the family dog in Georgia. Uh, I can tell you more about that later. <laughs> but I think host just... family dog? My host family's dog. Oh it was... Oh, well, God, it was scary. You know what? At um, least it was your host family's dog and not, like, some, like... Yeah. Teacher's dog or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would have been a lot more stressful. Yeah. No, he wanted to go to the Capitol and uh, <laughs> I really didn't know what to do. Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 sometimes frustrating to give uh, like really commonly said advice. But I would say um, everyone like has the capacity to be brave and to like push themselves out of their comfort zones. And I would really encourage everyone to do that in whatever way it means for them. When, how do you know when to push yourself and when to step back from a situation? Oh, oh that's a really good question. That's like really relevant to living in other cultures as yeah. well. Yeah, it is. I think, um, I think being as educated as possible about the context of where you are. So I think knowing, for example, how to interpret the way other people might be acting towards you, knowing gender, like, conventions in a culture. And then ultimately, probably, like, trusting your own instincts. Think listening to your fight-or-flight instincts. Um, reaching out to people who you trust. Definitely. And, like, don't be dumb. <laughs> <laughs> always good advice. Just, like, don't be dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> I definitely advocate for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this chance. Yeah. It's been really nice. Yeah. And I'm glad that you, you know, got to reflect on the things that you've done over the past five years. I, um, I really hadn't done it before this, <laughs> which is a little unbelievable now, but it has been, maybe that's another signpost for people to think about taking time to reflect on what you've already done. Um, because I, I, this, this, this conversation and like thinking about it is really, um, it's really like affecting how I'm gonna move forward, even if it's just like in a small way. That's what we aim for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me on another episode of Life Against the Current. We're here to encourage and support anyone that takes on a non-traditional life path because we know the challenges that come with it. Want to share your unconventional story with others? Send us a message or email via our Instagram at Life Against the Current. And don't forget to subscribe because we have some really awesome stories coming your way. See you in two weeks.